So um, just to get to uh, quickly summarizing what we discussed in the last uh, uh, satsang, um, we talked about uh, some of these shlokas where uh, where Bhagavan talks about uh, chaturvarnam, and uh, we uh, discussed about uh, you know um, how how uh, the people in the ancient past. They, they also started, they also were doing the work, okay? And uh, Krishna is asking uh, Arjuna to do the work what he's supposed to be doing rather than run away from, from the battlefield. That's one, one thing that we discussed. And then we, there was this uh, uh, question about uh, how the Chaturvarnas come, come about. And it is, uh, we discussed uh, a lot about how it is being misinterpreted today. And it, is, it has to be through Guna Karma. And one of the things that I distinctly remember was what Ashish mentioned about Guna Karma and also Ashrama. Um, that the relevance of Ashrama was uh, uh, very well brought out by Ashish in our discussions. So we got to do what we are supposed to be doing at a particular stage in our life, depending on the Ashrama, what uh, what what we uh, what we belong to. Then uh, uh, there was this. There was this talk. There was this nice uh, chap, nice uh, summary of what is activity, what is uh, uh, what is activity, and what is uh, in inactivity, and what is uh, forbidden activities. And in that, uh, there's a beautiful chart that uh, the book has, where it says activities nitya, naimitika, and uh, uh, kamya karma, three things. And Vipi, to your point, the Pitru, uh, Pitru uh, and all those uh, uh, arpan what we do for the departed souls falls under the category of Naimittika Karma, which is to be done once in a while, not necessarily daily activities, because that's to be done in a particular period of time in the year when you do it and then you know it uh, offers the benefits to the uh, people who are departed. So that's, uh, that's, that's what we discussed. And... Uh, uh, there was, there, was, there, was this, there was this question by Mahesh where uh, we also talked about, okay, you know, we started trying to dissect a little bit as to in our day-to-day -day life, you know, how do we actually do the secret of work? Because uh, as the Karma Yoga, as what uh, uh, the book says, because the dilemma was, you know, we end up getting involved in the work and then we start um, uh, doing it and then we, we may... Uh, we may start desiring the fruits of action. And then if we don't desire the fruits of action, then we may not put in enough effort into the work. That was the question, uh, Mahesh, if I remember right, uh, the way that you articulated is probably different than from the way that I'm articulating, but that was a question that you had asked. And then I think we discussed that. And then uh, uh, then we talked about, uh, uh, we talked about, you know, a couple of things. One was, Detaching as yourself from the fruits of the result was one step. And second thing is um, uh, attaching yourself to a higher goal. These were the two broad techniques that we discussed. Maybe there were other things that we discussed, but these are the two things that I remember uh, about. And today, I think uh, we are talking about the, uh, the next uh, set of shlokas, which probably elaborate a little bit on what Karma Yoga is. So with that, uh, you know, today I want to start by uh, uh, sharing a question which serendipitously appeared in a book that I had picked up called The Youth somewhere in, in, my, in my travel. So the question, question, this is by Ramakrishna Mat, okay? So the question here is, 
what are the methods by which and please uh, note this words okay the words are pretty beautiful what are the methods by which we can live with our hands in society and heads in forest that's the question that was asked and i'm going to read the answer so it can set the context for uh, what we're going to discuss so the answer uh, is that we presume that the question pertains to the mode of combining activism with contemplation the rajarshis of old have shown us the way discharge your duties fulfill your obligations to the best of your abilities but be detached the boat may be in water but water must not be in the boat so be in the world if you want but be not of the world so says sri ramakrishna the strength to detach oneself from the world comes by attaching oneself to god through prayer and contemplation Nice. I will snap it and post it. Yeah, that'll be helpful because I really loved the loved the play of words in that particular thing, which which kind of communicated the idea of what we've been discussing. So, um, with that, anyone can start off with your aha moment. i think one of the we'll start with the the word vikarma right so the way um akarma karma akarma and vikarma those are the kind of three words that they play in the I think 4.20 one of the early shlokas um it's very interesting to see how the word vikarma get interpreted right i've seen two interpretations earlier uh, i've been read Uh, osho's interpretation and also my guru talk about it the the word vikarma i think in this case uh, gets broadly interpreted as uh, incorrect action uh, right uh, that's how a lot of the lot of the in fact lot of the gita interpretations i read now uh, represent vikarma as that but i've heard the interpretation as vikarma as going beyond action and in action uh, and that was uh, basically that is the space when an enlightened being operates uh is is the space of vikarma so that's a very very interesting difference i saw between a lot of the popular interpretations and some of the enlightened beings interpretations of the word vikarma and i think the example that struck me for almost like 7 8 years in this example is uh, like breathing is is an example when bhagwan osho talks about vikarma he says breathing right is a good example of of a vikarma there's neither effort nor a doer right uh just for that was a big big thing click to understand is when we can act like we breathe right that's how the enlightened masters operate there's neither a doer nor doing uh and then that is the that's a space in which all the enlightened beings operate and then um that kind of is a beautiful I mean that to me like it was a big click to just to even do a manana on what 
what this whole doership and all this about this space of you know karma is you do the action with with identity right uh, akarma is basically you are lazy no action vikarma is there is action but there's no doing or doership uh, that that is i think was um, i mean this thing i mean i always i mean earlier on i read i understood the word vikarma that way but i always very like when i read all these interpretations i was very i i read the other side of it but that i think i don't want to share that the word can has been interpreted in a different way uh, by other masters just want to share that mukut did you mean vikarma or akarma because in uh, the page 288 there is a footnote which says akarma is a state of non actionlessness in this book yeah i seen uh, akarma also interpreted as um, no action right um shuddhi ashuddhi generally sanskrit i understood shuddhi ashuddhi vishuddhi right vishuddhi is v v stands for going beyond the two duality uh, right so basically the vikarma is, is the word i meant uh, and i think yeah you're right the swami chinmayananda the books kind of calls akarma in some places as non in uh, non action and some places it calls as uh i mean inaction and non action they kind of interchangeably use those two words uh, but that was not the interpretation at earl before akarma means basically lazy action inaction and then uh, there's a space beyond action and action which is the duality got it i, I think mean, in this text it uh, vikarma refers to forbidden actions yeah that that that's what that's what uh, we were saying the interpretation here is forbidden action but the word the interpretation i have understood from a couple of other my guru as well as osho bhagwan osho is it's a space of going beyond action and action that that was the kind of the um, for me that i didn't know that word those two interpretation exist interpretation existed for that word hmm. okay cool yeah so here it says the vikarma don't do vikarma but there uh, bhagwan osho says you need to learn to do vikarma right because you need to, you need to go beyond the duality uh, that's that's a space in the enlightened being operate so bhagwan krishna krishna himself operates because he says i am the doer i created the varnas but i don't do it if you look at me he constantly talks about the theme where he is not the doer he is not touched by the actions all the results uh, yeah yeah he, he talks about uh, doing but not being the doer and all that stuff but the term vikarma is used differently in this text that's all correct that, that that's a point vidya yeah yeah i just uh, wanted to add uh, what mukund said um, i don't know which vikarma or akarma but um, there is a you know how he was trying to say i feel that there's a pause or i would say silence when we do certain things i'll take example of either painting or music you know we sing and we 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 express ourselves um but there's a point between the expression there's a pause where we need to just focus on who we are like as self that energy um i think in every art form that's what gurus define you know you need to learn that and i think that's what mukundan was trying to say that you know try to see yourself there even when you paint or write or anything there's a pause which is just bring all the energy and see that that energy is basically within you um is what i think 
in here, they're trying to say that that we need to practice. Then totally inaction or, you know, not do anything or do too much thing, you know, doing too much action with nothing in your um, focus uh, is, is what I feel um, they are trying to say in, in um, Shloka 18 or, yeah, 18. But I don't know whether Vikarma or Akarma, which one is correct. <laughs> I got confused too here. Uh, I feel that Akarma is the one which is, you know, formidable, but Vikarma is the one that is the pause or, or with no action also, there is something within you which is energizing. Um, that's how I interpret it. To, to add to that, you know, I don't know if, if uh, people see different concerts and you will see, I'm just taking Kaushiki Chakravarti singing very high and coming down, but then she pauses. I don't know if you guys have that feeling of, oh, that pause has energy within you. It's not just her, but just, just the whole place has energy. So I, I, I kind of relate that to um, a concert or a painting or something which has a, an energy within yourself, which is all, you know, all around. It's, it's just encamped. Um, how, how do I say that? It's there everywhere. I don't know if you guys feel that, but that's how I interpret it. You're on mute, Kishore. Great, thanks for <laughs> all this happens. No, uh, what I meant is uh, to add to that, uh, Vidya, I mean, um, I look at this as um, a period of intense presence because you are, you're, you're really there in the now and not, um, th there are periods when we all have experienced this, right? We, we go I mean, state of flow as, as others have described in, in positive psychology. Um, I'm wondering if they are all pointing to the same thing here. Is, that's how I see it, at least or where you're so involved, there's nothing else happening at that time, but that, um, so there is inactivity, um, even though you, you're, the artist is probably singing or painting, sculpting, whatnot, you are, but there is a, there is intense quietness actually in there's quietness and stillness in their um, in their mind while they are actually working. So uh, uh, also right or in in other words, it, it actually says here, you know, intensely thinking, contemplating. It may look like you're physically um, not moving. However, there is intense um, um, creative thinking happening, right? So there there is um, there, there is a lot of activity in inactivity. But at the same time, when you're singing and you're so immersed, there is there is inactivity, stillness in the mind while there is activity externally, right? So there are both examples. Um, and so it, the common factor in both of them would be uh, being very much present and uh, there's stillness in the mind during that time. I kind of like the way you've described it, uh, 
sure, which is, which is just kind of when you work with such intensity that, you know, while there is intense action, there is also a sense of, uh, of that, you know, deep eternal peace within yourselves, right? Yeah, I mean, this is a verse which sort of, you know, we've kind of read it like long ago. It's Swami Dayananda's book, but I think the way you described it was great, which is intense action and eternal peace kind of state of mind. Right, I'm, I'm sure we've all kind of experienced this at least for, you know, a few um, minutes, hours or whatnot, right? And you would come out of it actually feeling even more energized because the mind is not, was not distracted, was not moving back and forth. It was intensely focused on one thing, right? So uh, th there is just a lot of, even otherwise, even if you just look at it at the level of energy, you would come back with so much more energy at the end of that intense period of activity um, than, you know, so we, we've seen um, many of us have gone into that flow state and, and with, with uh, you know, maybe even without realizing, but it usually happens when you're so intensely focused on something without, uh, for the intrinsic um, um, nature, but just because you can do that, right? It's not because of any specific agenda, but uh, just an expression coming out of you. Just wanted to add again, um, at that point, like how Ajay, you and and um, Kishore said, at that moment, it's just, um, we are just observers, right? At, and it just comes with that peace of mind that we're not doing anything, but it's just observing. And that's the beauty of that particular pause or that moment. Um, and I think that's, that's the greatness of what, uh, you know, this chapter is all about like karma yoga, right? To see ourselves in, as not the doer, but the observer. Right. Uh, Rajesh, can I switch in one more point? I know you've raised your hand. So here's an example. A few years ago, when I was at Google, um, I, you know, in one of my, in one of the interviews I took, I, I met a young man, 23, 24 year old. Um, you know, he... Uh, and, you know, I was interviewing him and uh, came with a lot of, uh, you know, when I looked at his resume, he, he was at a community college in North Carolina. Um, and usually, you don't, you, you see, I, I was used to seeing more people from, uh, in the sense that because Google was hiring more from the top colleges, it was a little, it stood out for me saying, hey, how did uh, this person happen to get here? So I had mentally started uh, biasing, uh, you know and uh, going into the interview. And then I started talking to him. Uh, and within the first 20 minutes, he had already, we had already covered the, the three questions that usually take more than an hour. <laughs> and we wouldn't finish it. He had already, uh, it was a slam dunk for him. And I realized how brilliant this young man was. Uh, then I started talking to him. Hey, how did you get into uh, programming? And uh, what interests you here? And because it was very clear to me that this person is uh, unique. Um, he was a 23 year old and he told me this, he said, um, he, uh, he starts to work um, on any, any problem that, uh, you know, it may not be something that he gets paid for or anything like that. 
he would work on open source projects. He'd take, take on some work. And he said he gets so immersed in it that I, he would typically come out of it. You wouldn't even know how many hours have passed. And usually he actually comes out of it the following day or something, right? And he says that period of that activity when he gets into the state is so awesome that the only way he knows to get into that is by writing, uh, writing code. So he doesn't know what that is, um, how that happens, why it happens, but he just loves that feeling. And he gave me the reason for writing code as that, saying that this is why I, I write code. I, and I don't know what happens, but there were often situations where I would start writing in the morning and then it would be night by the time I come out and I would see that I've not eaten, I've not um, seen how much time has passed. And then he would realize that, uh, you know, that, that's when he comes out of it. And he says that feeling is so fantastic that he doesn't know any other way of getting in there, but by uh, writing code. So I was blown away by that answer by this 23 year old. So uh, he didn't know what it was, but he, he was experiencing it. So it, 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 it's still, I still remember that after all these years, yeah. Isn't that true, uh, Kishore? I mean, you're in this space. Isn't it true for all programmers who can write code for like 48 hours and or whatever? Yeah, it, and... it, if you can get into that state, and it has happened a few times for me, again, in all these years, a few times is, is how I, I would say, um, where it, it is just beautiful. And those times you still remember because there was a period of intense focus and your mind was completely present. Um, and... Uh, you get so much done, like a week's work in a few hours, literally, mm. just because of that intense focus. Um, I, I still remember those few days. I, I still remember, you know, the day uh, it was a, the a day after Christmas when nobody else was in the office and I, I went in to get something done. I remember one week's worth of work being done in a few hours. I, you know, I remember that flow state. But it happens very uh, every so often that it's not possible to sustain it for many of us. But when it happens, it's beautiful. So, uh, no, that is very nice, Kishore. So, the question that I had, you know, Vidya, as you and uh, Kishore, you were speaking, the question I had was, like, you know, can that uh, actionlessness be noticed in uh, anybody else other than uh, ourselves, because uh, um, it may, in my my understanding is, it may be difficult for us to see a musician fully engrossed and and singing um, with full of you know action, but still assuming that you know even if they are in their flow, assuming that they are driven from a space of uh, you know, uh, no desire is probably very difficult to understand, isn't it? Um, absolutely. I have seen, uh, uh, definitely, I would attest for that. Um, I don't know, 1992, I think, maybe. Um, I had gone for a concert by Allah Khan. Uh, he's Zakir Hussain's um, father. And there was a difference between how he was playing to how Zakir Hussain was playing. They both were playing, but the pauses and 
the times that he would his expression is just you can see that he is somewhere and that is coming to you too as an audience there was pure there was purity in that there was nothing else um so that incident i would definitely say um i would also say um, that i have seen in probably shivkumar sharma in the boston concert um i would say of marajapuram santanam in a bombay concert like i can i can just say that i have attended many concerts but there are few times where i can just see that they are in a place like how kishore was saying that they are so engrossed that we know that they have gone a place where we can feel that at least i could feel that they are there yes there are many times they come back to actually perform to entertain but at some point they are not entertaining they are somewhere yeah in fact um, the south indian carnatic <coughs> music and bharatanatyam like right, those two art forms uh, both are uh, signs of enlightenment right they not they not for entertainment right but basically if you learn that uh, you can one can become it's a, it's like a meditation it's it's like a kriya yoga uh, the, the the pure science of uh, carnatic music because the the swaras and thalas they they just not um, science of it is it's not sound alone they create the same vibration uh, for example om is just not au- like audio alone it creates a experience in the being and the rishis kind of pick those syllables uh, with certain experiences so that's why through bharatanatyam as well as through uh, carnatic music the south indian carnatic music and i'm pretty sure a lot of the some other anything that came from an enlightened like a source right all of them have that characteristics where the singer himself can become enlightened through the practice and and they always touch the zones like you're saying of that no mind zone and that definitely does get transmitted to the audience uh, always and if you look at enlightened masters that's that's all because they sit in the in this always always in the no mind space that's why you know if you like a lot of experience when uh, i hear people meeting all this uh, swamis and something magical happens uh, the being understands it right no no word is spoken but you just know uh, and i think that is the that's what i think vidya you're saying it's it's yeah the, the only difference are, i would say yeah. uh, sorry go, go ahead, ahead finish go ahead that's all and i said i could understand what you're saying you could relate with it yeah the only difference i would say is the experience that we see that in that pause um which was rare was very easily available when we met swami p mm-hmm. exactly That's the difference yeah because, because swami p is already established in that state right so yes. that is the so, difference so so the musicians go there accidentally so when they are in the, you are almost like resonating that frequency right when they are in the frequency the audience resonate but swami p is established there a lot of enlightened exactly. masters are established there so once you go in the presence you are just drawn to it uh, and and that that happens a lot in fact when people travel in himalayas one thing beautiful thing is you never you, you'll meet a lot of these beings babas who are all achieved right you cannot tell uh, that is that's the whole beauty of himalayas you don't know where you will run into god right and and you know they'll say i can i live in the bush like i think example i think ajay somebody gave right i mean they're all just you never know whom you run into there it's it's a very beautiful almost like god can walk into you anywhere from anywhere and can talk to you 
that's that's at least the experience. So my question would be here. Uh, you know how the the musicians have put in so many hours of practice, and they <laughs> achieve this rarely here and there. Maybe that's what we see. But how come with Swami P we just see it? <laughs> you know, you just go there and you saw it, right? Ajay, you can probably NVP and others can relate to that. Uh, I'm yeah. sure Alpana and Anu also. How can they do it? And you know, we are struggling. That's the question. But isn't it all about? Yeah, they have been added. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's all about abhasa, right? I mean, they've been at it for a long time, and you know, whether it yeah. is meditation or whether it is practicing music or singing or coding or whatever. I mean, it's all about abhyasa and learning the art of concentration, which is sort of unfortunately never taught in school. Right, but I'm just going back to what VP uh, said, and Alpna keeps saying, in this, you know, time itself, we can be get the liberation. And we don't have to wait for so many births. So that that's where I'm going. Like, I, I think uh, a lot of times it's the context of the action, right? So a lot of people learn music because they want to be a musician, but rarely oh. you will come across an enlightened music master who who will teach music. For example, um, I'm trying to think of the common name. I think um, Kirtana. You know, the Kirtanas in Tamil Nadu. What's his name? Um, like he was enlightened himself, right? So very rarely you will see an enlightened being teaching music with the context of enlightenment, mm. right? And that is the difference, right? Similarly, a lot of people will teach you mindfulness, but to, to meet an enlightened person to teach mindfulness uh, or mind meditation, that is the key. Basically, the lamp from which you, you get lit is very important. And that is when the right lamp is available, lighting can happen quickly. When, when, the, when it's a flashlight, you can never get lit. A lot of times the world is filled with the 90% flashlights. So very rarely you run across the Swami Peace and the, you know, the enlightened beings. So that's the that's been my experience. So when you when you sit with the, the right being, with the right context, because the being there, like you know, Swami P has no in, other interest, right? He only he's radiating enlightenment and he wants you to radiate enlightenment. That's the only relationship. There's no money, there's nothing, nothing you can bring, there's no name and fame, there's no publicity. It's a very simple equation, right? Very, very rarely you see that uh, type of beings. And then if you find somebody just to sit at their feet, that's it. And it will happen. That's how it works. Um, speaking, that's been my experience. Sorry, not it's been my experience. Speaking of music, yeah. talking about it, there is this really awesome, beautiful movie called The Disciple. I don't know if I just wanted to recommend. I think I watched it on either Netflix or uh, Prime. I, I don't remember now. It's called The Disciple. Um, it's a very non, what do you say, um, under the radar type of a movie, but it's, it's all about music um, and this relationship between guru and... Uh, so there are these interludes where this guy is just driving on the road on his bike, and then there is a back... I, somebody, his teacher talks to him in the background that he remembers. Each one of those, I think, is a gem uh, from that um, movie, uh, what the teacher's uh, teachings comes through. And, and it's spirituality and music combined in, in terms of her teachings. So, um, yeah, highly recommend that, uh, that, that. 
the movie has multiple layers, but I, uh, this one was really awesome. Yeah, definitely watch it, Vishal. Sure. This sounds interesting. Thank you. Yeah, Vidya, I would just say, uh, you know, just extending what Mukku was saying, um, and that's why they believe it's important to have a guru because part of that uh, shakti or part of that uh, uh, grace passes on from his guru and his lineage to you. At least that's what I have come to understand by reading and meeting so many of them. And I think we felt that with Swami P, right? He was radiating when we all sat down. Um, so if you imagine if you are, you know, being around him for, let's say, six months or seven months, I'm sure some of that energy will just, um, you know, uh, either knowingly or unknowingly will get infused into your being as well. And I think that's sort of the magic. And that's why, I mean, this is sort of, this is what I have come to understand after reading and, you know, thinking about these things, that that's why it becomes important. So to skip a few steps, let's say, to, in the journey, therefore it becomes very important to have, uh, have a connection with a guru like that, intense connection. Thanks, VP. Please, I want to ask a question. <laughs> it is slightly uh, challenging out here, especially for me. Uh, um, Sue was mentioning a movie just now. Uh, so I'm, I'm a movie buff. You know, I watch movie every day almost. I enjoy movies. And I'm so intensely attached with movies that I forget myself. Uh, so I have a challenge here. So intensity, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm being very honest. I mean, Rajesh knows how much I watch television and anything. So uh, uh, I also forget myself watching movies. So uh, intensely I watch movies. And of course that I get attached. So, I mean, forgetting at that point of time when I watch movies and then post the watching movies, I get attached. So, I mean, I mean, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, if, uh, I mean, intense if being attached for everyone, will they get attached post the activity or will they still be free with their activities uh, as per Bhagavad Gita? I, Mahesh, that's exactly what, what my question too, right? Sometime back, because... It's not necessary, uh, you know, to be in a state of flow, like what we've been talking about and not being attached. It's not necessary. I think it's it's not possible for us to judge another person, uh, whether they are attached by while performing an activity or they're completely, you know, unattached. Because the space from which they have to operate upon is our assumption. Okay. I think we can only judge for ourselves, whether we are in, whether there's any desire which is in the back of it, which is driving us to act or not. You know, whether it is Swami P or whether it is Allah Rakha or anybody, in my view, I don't think that uh, you can judge them by their face of how they're acting or behaving uh, to state that, you know, they are uh, operating from a state of desirelessness. Uh, Rajesh, I, no, I, I agree. Only they will know, right? Because it's their mental state and even as I think it was pointed out, even these great masters are only able to get there every now and then, right? Because I think it finally depends on their state of mind. I mean, how still is their mind? So my, again, just wanted to point out that I, I, I feel it comes down to 
um, to the mind. I mean, it's like um, how, you know, and when performing those activities, how still your mind is. I think it just comes down to that, which also translates in, my, in some ways to presence. Uh, because uh, unless your mind is still, you cannot be completely present. It's, it's all the same thing being said in different words, but um, um, concentration is yet another one. It can be, can the mind be um, uh, in one thing for a certain period of time? So if you look at it, then all this is what you I mean. Finally, uh, this is this is dharana, this is uh, and dhyana meditation, and perhaps these practices. I mean, a, a daily meditation practice eventually leads to having more concentration, even in other things that we do, right? So it, uh, I, yeah, I think uh, it is connected in that sense, right? Because if you think of mind as just purely as mind, it is very, it is pure, it is pure sattva, right? It's, uh, but just that we've added so many layers on top of that, so then the question is, can we remove those layers so that the sattva comes forth uh, by itself, right? So, uh, and shines, shines through. So then what, is the, what are the ways in which you can remove those layers uh, on top of it, uh, which is where I think following the values, uh, doing things, um, uh, you know, uh, yeah, doing the right things, whether it's, we call it ethics or otherwise, um, these all increase the level, I mean, decrease the level of uh, um, impurities or the layers around us, and so that the sh mind can shine through. So, uh, to me, then it the practices boil down to that uh, in, in this context, in the context of karma yoga. True, Kishore. What I'm saying is that all those things uh, 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 will give you the concentration, will give you the ability to you know, uh, get rid of unwanted distractions and everything. But I'm saying my, my, my understanding of what I'm reading here is that, you know, that can still need not necessarily mean that we are operating from a space of uh, desirelessness. We can still have a desire and we can still enhance the, all those qualities to, to kind of, you know, fructify that particular desire what you have. True actionlessness, in my understanding from what I'm reading here, is that can arise only when there is no desire at all of any sort. Higher state, I agree. The state of pregnant state. Yeah. yeah. That's where I think, you know, maybe we'll go through, let's say on a scale of 1 to uh, one to 100, maybe we'll be progressing a little bit. But yeah. if you have to say that, okay, am I performing this action purely from a state of desirelessness that's an answer only we can answer for ourselves but we cannot just judge anybody else saying that okay hey this person is acting from a state of desire or desirelessness that's impossible to judge we, we might pick some hints on you know Correct. when they hit those Correct. high notes and they're so uh, so much into it you cannot Correct. see that right Correct. but i think rajesh i i think what vidya said right so it's not it's not it's not intellectual right this this happens not at mind level, right? This is the being just understands, uh, right? Your mother doesn't need to tell me hundred times I love you, right? I just know she loves me, right? So I think the, the communication or the transmission of that, when somebody falls into that space, the transmission happens this at that level, and uh, I've personally seen many many times with my guru and many other experiences that transmission happens. Um, 
and 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 that is, that is I, I think I don't think that is uh, but it's not at the mind level. You cannot intellectualize it at all. It just it happens. You just know, and that knowing has no doubts. No, like no, I don't deny that. The convention, that. Convention in the voice that you know she knew just he fell into that zone. That that is the knowing. That doesn't need the, there's no doubt in that. I, I believe that it is possible that the being will just understand. There's an another level communication happens. Which is way beyond the mind. Okay. Yeah, Rajesh. Um, you know, if you if you see the shloka twenty, right? Tyatva karma phala sangam. So, so basically, what they are trying to say is, you are not doing anything once you have totally taken all the desires. But there is a point where, you know. all of us maybe um, are at a place where we don't have desires at least for that one fraction of a second i think that's all we can currently you know think about but they are doing their actions it's not that they are not doing their actions but that mental that that one second they are not performing that they don't they are not thinking about the fruit um of that action so that's what i think we are trying to say but you can see as you know you must have met your guru right and um, at least i can attest for uh, swami p when we when we met him we could clearly at least i could clearly see that he had nothing his his entire being was kind of he didn't have any desires and I, i'm sure alpana and kunnan and all these people have you know at least felt that presence i think that's what we are trying to say so i'm coming back to this you know um, shloka 20 where you're not mentally clinging to um, that slavery of desire and i think that's the even if you can one second if you can practice that and keep practicing i'm thinking that we will come to at least swami p and swami spgs please <laughs> if we keep practicing that portion of it not to be you know slaved upon that desire or mentally have that uh, ichcha and all those things um, in fact uh, the way at least i practice uh, and i think mahesh has kind of also introduced mahesh's question right so see uh, what i over the years have understood is desire is like an outcome but the it's easier in, in my practice when is to go to the identity right uh, because i can work from my identity as mukundan with my limitations how i understand i'm good at this bad at this i i can operate from that framework or i can step fall back and say i'm a parmashiva and consciousness and i can operate from that framework right uh, so whenever i act Uh, and and whether it's watching a movie and it's applicable to many things many of the things that we do right whenever i work about 80 80 90% of the time i'm caught in my identity and working with those limitations right or oh, something has to be done by like 3 3 o'clock why can't do it i don't have time you know i the mind goes through all this inner chatter back and forth but when i catch this and step back and say i am consciousness i don't need i am not bound by time and space when i just remember that right then the being just relaxes and then and then to me that's kind of the shift 
right? It's not the desire itself, but the identity from which I'm engaging the act. Uh, and, and, and that's applicable, Mahesh, to your question of movie too, right? So more and more is now what I, the, what I remember and practice is the identity from which I am acting. Uh, I'm, if I'm acting, I'm from the identity or I, I'm the consciousness, I'm a Paramashiva, however you want to word it, right? And then you perform the same action. A, there's no stress. B, the desirelessness happens because when your consciousness, everything is auspicious, good, bad, ugly, you're, you, you're, you start absorbing that like, not, like a state of mind of desirelessness. And then the, um, it's almost like a shift happens, right? When you, when you practice, you just remember I'm Paramashiva and then the being just relaxes. Even there's a tense conversation argument going on. That second you, relax, you remember your Paramashiva, and then you relax, and then you the, then it just evolves from there. That's how that that's the at least the way is um, my practice on the identity side, not so much on the emphasis on whether I'm acting with or with without desire. If you unclutch from the identity, then the desirelessness is an outcome of it. That's at least it works for me. Absolutely beautifully said, Muku. Thank you for that. In fact, it's correct uh, what you said, Muku. That is the. Uh thing uh, which uh, I mean as I mentioned earlier also I keep an alarm 30 minutes every 30 minutes to remind myself uh, saying that you know uh, the teachings of uh, the spiritual masters and Bhagavad Gita I remind myself every 30 minutes uh, even in the work so all the stress levels goes down it is my practical experience as well okay but you know, uh, yeah. I mean, it is. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I mean, I think uh, between the shift from the normal day-to-day -day desires to non-desires, the mental makeup is still not clear in ourselves. I mean, at least in myself, uh, to uh, fix. I mean, like if you see Lord Krishna, who is handling a kingdom, uh, he is uh, he is as cool as uh, I mean, uh, he has been doing both the work of uh, a king as well as a, a, a spiritual uh, one being as well as so many I mean examples we have in India Janaka or somebody you know I mean uh, who are being in the worldly activities as well as being this uh, spiritual beings I mean they maintain the balance you know that thing uh, the crux of it is yet to be identified uh, to move a gradual shift from the worldly thing to the spiritual aspect of it you know so that is a thing which i am actually looking at you know how we can do a calibration uh, in terms of uh, moving the mind's directions towards uh, spiritual side while working i think uh, at least the uh, way i understand mahesh is that uh, see as you let's say you do 30 minutes right and then and then something happens then you bump it up to 10 minutes it's almost like the bio memory, the muscle is learning to behave in a certain way, exactly like the way you train your muscles in gym, right? Like if you wait, if you target weighing 100 pounds, right? So you start with 20 pounds for a week one and then go up. I, I believe it's the same exact science here. Uh, and, and at one point, you know, the more and more you, you, your body learns to work in that fashion, um, then whether your spiritual or material work does not matter, right? Everything becomes spiritual. It's, uh, you know, that's, that's what I think Krishna is talking about in this chapter quite extensively, right? The, all the sannyasis are, you know, intensely in action. Uh, but the identity they are working is I am, I am consciousness identity. 
right? It's not the action goes down. Now you could still be singing, you could be dancing, you could be painting, you could be in a, you could be in a market selling uh, products, right? The action, it does not matter, but the identity from which it is done is your Paramashiva uh, or, or in a consciousness, however, however the verbiage you want to call it. I think more and more time we spend in a day falling from that identity and acting, uh, then the action itself becomes um, I mean, does not really matter. Whether you could be sleeping 24 hours, you still will be enriching the world, or you could be selling in the marketplace, you still will be enriching the world. Uh, you, you could be you know, um, doing whatever you're doing today, still enriching the world. The, the fragrance of the action will start flowing through. That's how I at least I understand it. You got two All hands right. raised. Thank you, Mukul. Chitra? Yeah, I was going to say something very similar, but I think you kind of uh, said it. What I was going to say was um, uh, when uh, we are in intense concentration, we are actually doing it unconsciously. Uh, but being in intense concentration consciously is what is being. So I think something similar to what Mukundan said is um, how much am I in the witness versus how much am I in the uh, like what is my state of mind? Where am I looking at? So I think what most of us have um, touched upon is very unconsciously. And that's why we have still have the desire um, part of it, right? Oh, I was so happy there. Whereas uh, when it's done consciously, then there is nothing like I'm happy or not happy because um, it is not it is not done unconsciously. I'm consciously aware that, you know, I am doing this. My hand is whatever, you know. Uh, or I'm cooking, or I'm singing, and you know, uh, I'm witnessing that singing, or I'm witnessing that cooking. So there is that level of detachment from the action. Um, whereas when uh, we uh, get into it, um, like Kishore said, yeah, sometimes when you code, or sometimes when you sing, suddenly you become unaware how time passed. Uh, I think maybe for us, it's more unconscious. So I think what, uh, at least what I'm understanding from this is, that has to become a very conscious act, act. And when it becomes conscious act is when we become, uh, when we are, uh, you know, when we have, we've become sthita pragya. I'm sorry, I don't, I get confused with words, but I think Mukundan kind of said the same thing, so. Yeah, beautiful Chitra. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. I like it. Sure. There was a joke, uh, just I wanted to add up. You know, so I was listening to one of the lectures and it says uh, a cat is consciously focusing, concentrating on to catch a rat. You know, at the end of the day, it catches consciously a rat only, you know. This is a joke, but, uh, you know, so what uh, it says, I mean, I mean, there's a meaning to it. You have to be conscious, but the direction is not towards the rat, you know. So, I mean, that is what is what uh, I thought I should highlight here. <laughs> Like the story, Kishore. <laughs> mute, you're still on mute. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, I just wanted to point out a, uh, something quick. Uh, listening to Katha Upanishad by Swamiji, uh, which is phenomenal, actually. There, there's one point where, you know, in relation to desirelessness, right, um, talks about, and, and to Mukundan's point here with respect to identity. So, uh, you know, the more we identify with things as mine, right, uh, whether it's 
things outside. So the point was, okay, we can easily say, I mean, it's harder to actually say that this is not, you know, I'm not this body, right? So it is in that context. That context is basically to, um, to go from the outside the outside world to the body and then all the way in to the different koshas, right? So that's the context. When he talked about something that stood out for me, which is um, it, it, we would think that it's easy to say that this, um, this book, uh, you know, is, is not me. However, if that book has a lot of sentimental value for you and a lot of attachment, like you put a lot of I into that book, uh, mine and I into that book, if somebody were to tear it, it's going to upset you, right? Uh, so even for things that are outside of us, outside of our body, it's a question of how much I you've added to that thing that causes suffering, right? So the same way, if you translate that to the body in the, uh, and your mind in the same way, so it's the question of how much I is there in it, right? The moment you pull that out, um, it goes away, right? I mean, it's not easy, but the way it was explaining is one higher level uh, concept of this practice would be then to and, and not to identify with those things. And, and from that, the desire will go away, right? Because it's only when that I is present on that in that thing, then we, uh, it causes suffering that you want it or you, you don't want to lose it and so on. So, uh, and to, you know, there's preservation and other things that come with it. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think Mukundan, you, I think you keep talking about the same concept. It, it just happened to, I'm listening to that portion of it. So it stuck with me that, that even in things that are outside, um, you know, it does hurt us when it is, when we add, it's only when we add a lot of I to it, right? So, so one way out of the desirelessness would be then to remove that I. Yeah. Just a couple of points uh, related to today's discussion, not necessarily to the last point or something. Uh, the first one was, uh, it's not necessary that Jnani will be in a state of Samadhi, nor is it necessary that one who attains Samadhi is a Jnani, because uh, Jnani is a state of a mind which comes and goes. Uh, sorry. Samadhi is a state of mind which comes and goes. But the jnani is one who's identified that he's not the mind and body. So, so that's something that I, I read at multiple places and have begun to understand. The second one is for a karma yogi, the three important things. The first one is the falki uh, chane which is desirelessness. Uh, but to complete karma yoga, uh, yeah, that you are not the doer. So you can either do it with two things. Either you are Param Parmeshwar and you know the body and mind is doing it, or the it's God's will, and this by body and mind is a perfect instrument and the work is being done through it. So either of it uh, you can use. And then the third is uh, Asakti Rahit. So even don't get attached to the action itself. So only when these three things are done, the karma yoga happens. And karma yoga helps with the antahakaran shuddhi. Again, jnana will happen. Uh, antahakaran shuddhi is probably a big step towards getting jnana, but it is not jnana again. And uh, 
was the third thing I wanted to say. Um, Yeah, I really like what you said, Agna. That was one of the aha moments uh, that, um, you know, the book says that our mind, body, and <clears throat> the actions that we do, we if we look at it as, as the, the divine instrument, yeah. you know, perfect. that was perfect. a perfect and, instrument. Yeah, and the third was about the, uh, the action in action and in action in action, the, way, the best way to understand is even when the action is being done, which is the second part of the karmio, without having the kartritva vivan, that I am not the doer. So hence, it is inaction in action, that whatever action is being done, it is not done by me. So that is action in action. And inaction in action is even if this body is not doing anything, doesn't really mean that I've understood that I'm not the doer. Just because the body and mind is not doing, the mind can still be, you know, thinking about something. I think one of the best example is uh, um, upvas or fasting. Uh, I'm not eating anything, but in, on, a, on a positive side, I am fasting. So I am doing something. I am doing the act of not eating. So that is not considered as inaction as long as we don't understand that the, the doer behind it. So uh, just because the body is not doing anything, if we have not understood the first part that as this body and mind, I'm not the doer, then it is not an inaction. No, well said, Alpana. I think it, it ties back to what Muku was also saying in terms of where the self-identity one places right in my mind you know going back to mahesh's question uh, and even last week's question and this week's question, in my mind this is a, i i'm also trying to act on it you draw a scale and then any activity you know is is uh, uh, determined uh, by how much i have my identity in that particular activity okay if the identity is uh, uh, zero saying that I'm not doing it, but somebody else is doing it. That means basically I've let it go. And then that activity sort of becomes uh, uh, karma yoga. But if you say, no, I need to get this thing done because I need this particular result. Even if the 1% desire is there within me, then that is not necessarily karma yoga. There is an action in it, which I'm associating to my mind and I'm expecting a particular result. And um, Muku, Muku used 80-20, right? I think, I think that it happens in many, many, in some activities, we may, there may be no desire to get, get anything done, not because you don't want the result, but you know that intrinsically you want to give and you don't want anything out of the particular thing. It could be the God's will that's expressing, but there are some other activities in our day-to-day -day life where I don't think that we delegate that to God and not, I should not say delegate, we relegate it to God. We take it to ourselves and say, and then you cannot say you're doing karma yoga at that point of time. That's a very fine distinction, very hard to explain. But I think you, you understand from this discussion and what I'm trying to explain, because for every activity you can, you can make it, whether you're doing karma yoga or not. I think Anupma was mentioning that we met uh, a Panditji on this temple high up there. And uh, it was a very hot day and below a tree, it was very cool. So 
three of us were trying to figure out maybe there is some water going on. Even the floor was very, very cool. And just as you step away from it, it was so hot. And we were trying to think, oh, iske niche se pani ja raha, this and that. And we asked Panditji, ki yaha itna thanda hai? He said, Devi ki krapa hai. I mean, it comes so spontaneously. I mean, any response he gave was, Devi ki krapa hai. I, I don't think he was making it up, but it was just genuinely coming from dog. And that's where I said that faith you see, it is just mind boggling that they don't need to think what response to give. It is, it is just there. Alpana, I can, I can relate to that, that area, nice. that, that area above, I think uh, Haridwar is uh, magical. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's just, just pure magic on planet Earth. I totally agree with that. In fact, right, there's a, a, a beautiful Maybe. saying in Tamil. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll mention it and translate it. My, my guru used to say that, Ambala Patukko, Ambal Patupa. What that means is, all you do is you look at the Devi, you take care of Devi, and she takes care of everything else. This, your only job you have is that, take care of the Devi. Then Ambala Patukko, Ambal Patupa. We Allah, Aristotle, you know, she takes care. So very beautifully, he says that always now. Just only one job you have, <laughs> take care of Devi, that's it. <laughs> Aristotle will, <laughs> your mortgage, your bills, your kids, everything else is taken care of. It's a very beautiful perspective. Nice. What does he mean by take care of the Devi? Uh, and just you focus just on, jump, you know, just, just yeah, just oh, have your attention on, on her. Have your attention right. on her, right? Just... Uh, that's all matters to the world. Just pay your attention to her. Ambala uh, Patuko means literally it means like you see Devi just with your eyes. Ah, that's okay. Yeah, you see Devi, and then she takes care of everything. VP, I think I think the context the context in which you have to interpret the word Ambal is uh, you know not necessarily a feminine form of the god, but uh, in general god. Right. You know, I was just trying to understand the word take care of, and I think he clarified that. Yeah, yeah. thanks. All right. So we are at 7.33. I think, uh, uh, you know, a lot of action today. And uh, hopefully in action at the back. So with that, we will conclude with our, with our prayer. And uh, uh, I, I feel that we probably may have to spend a little bit more time on these slokas but then I think the following slokas also clarify quite a bit. So um, maybe, you know, I will uh, go through it once and then I'll probably drop a note as to how many slokas we can uh, follow for the next week. Actually, 4.24 is a big one. 4.24. Brahmarpanam, Brahmahavir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. VP's favorite shloka. <laughs> SPG had one whole lecture on that. Okay. Okay. So maybe so we maybe remaining of this. Would you mind just maybe dropping a note as to how many we should cover? I feel that we should not let go of the previous ones because I think the previous ones, whatever we covered for this week, we will have to probably refer to them. Uh, but definitely next few slokas. So and one more thing, Rajesh, uh, I'll be traveling next week, weekend, in fact. So uh, maybe you can post another, um, maybe your WebEx link or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think Alpana, you have the Zoom, right? Yeah, we can use yeah. your Zoom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's maybe uh, just do three more. Yeah. Um, 
we shouldn't do too many if we want to cover a little bit of the meaning of it. Yeah. Sarve Bhavantu Sukhinaha, Sarve Santu Niramaya, Sarve Bhadrani Pashyantu, Makas Chiddukha Bhagabhave, Om Shanti Shanti Shanti, Shri Guru Bhyonamaha, Harihi Om. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you next Thank week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.